Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons of the word found in your bulletin helps us do just that. Let's read it together. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 977. Again, the text is Romans 15, verses 1 through 6, found on page 977 of the, Blue, of the Pew Bibles. My Hear now the word of the Lord. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who teach us, for the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, uh, let's bow our, our um, heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, with the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And Father, I pray this morning especially uh, for myself. Father, I pray that you would give me a, uh, a tone of gentleness, of hope, uh, of humility. Father, I pray that you would use uh, the beauty, the goodness, uh, the, the wisdom, the welcome found in your word to transform us, to change us from the inside out, that we might be more like Jesus. Uh, we ask it desperately in his mighty and merciful name. Amen. Well, kids, I don't know about you. Um, how many of you, raise your hand if you like sports. You like sports? I don't know, my family and I have been watching March Madness uh, this past weeks, etc., and we have been enjoying uh, just watching basketball. So we're not big, I can't say the Clarks are big sports fans, but we, we enjoy sports in general. Kids, I don't know about you, but it, maybe you have a favorite sport. For me growing up, it, it was basketball, and I love to play basketball. And I don't know if you've ever been on a team before, maybe the basketball team, a football team, or soccer, whatever it may be. But on a team, there's this interesting aspect of, about being on a team. Have you ever noticed this, kids? Some team members work really, really hard. I mean, they're, they show up to practice early, they, whatever the coach says, they go after it, they do it. They stay after maybe practice. They go to the gym and work out to get stronger, right? And as time goes on, they, they improve. They're working hard. They, they, they get stronger and stronger and better and better. But have you ever been on a team where other teammates really aren't working that hard? They just kind of, they show up maybe, or maybe they show up late to practice, or they just kind of, it's just, it's just practice, it's not a game, so they don't really try. They don't really seem to care as much. 
Now imagine that you're one of the strong team members, okay? That you, you've been working really hard, you, you want to win, you're listening to the coach. And after a while, as you start to watch some of these you know, weaker uh, team members, you know, kid, you know, kids who just don't really care that much, after a while, what might you start thinking about some of these weaker team members? What kind of thoughts might go through your mind? I don't know about you, but for me, you know what, what temptation would be? It would be to look down on them. You know, you kind of look down on them and think, you know, really? You're not going to try harder? What's, what's wrong with you? Look down on them. In fact, we might feel superior. You know, I am trying. Look at that. I'm trying so hard. We may feel better than they are. We might want to even say to them at some point, listen, just get out of here. Seriously. I mean, just why are you even here? Why are you even show up for? You're not, really, you're not really part of this team. Right? So one temptation is that we can just look down on them. And another temptation, this is, this is right there, and this is definitely, uh, this is definitely me. Right? It's, I don't, maybe I don't, we don't so, so much as look down on them as we become down about them. We just get down. We don't, we don't, not only do we feel superior, but we, we feel sad. Right? Not only do we feel better than they are, we feel bitter about them, about who they are. We don't necessarily say, you're out of here. We might be tempted to be so discouraged that we say what? You know what? I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm just so done with this team. Right? And what's interesting is that maybe in your moments of frustration on a team, you know, other people aren't trying hard, and, you, and, and they may respond. You may say something to one of those team members. And, and imagine if they were to say something like this to you. But what, what did I do? What did I do? I, I showed up to practice. I showed up to the games. What did I do wrong? I didn't do anything. I didn't try, I didn't try to hurt anyone. I didn't try to sabotage anything. What would you say to that? I didn't do anything. What are you so mad at me for? Think about that for a while. What, what would, might we say to them? No, 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 let's, let's change the scenario here. Let's change, imagine, kids, don't imagine your favorite sport. Imagine your favorite, if you have one, a favorite subject in school. Maybe all of them are not favorites or they don't like school at all. But imagine if you do have a favorite subject in school. Now imagine in that favorite subject that there's a group project. You kids know what a group project is? Right? I mean, we all, it's, it's the idea that with a teacher usually assigns, you know, different groups within the class, and it's groups of two or three or four, something along those lines, and you do the project together. And then collectively you hand it in, and it's and something that you all get the same grade on. Now imagine, again, you're in this group project, kids, and you, this is your favorite subject, you enjoy it, I mean, it's math or history, whatever it may be, and you are trying. At the very least, you may not like the subject, but you want to get a good grade. You're trying hard. You're learning. You're studying. You're working, right? And, and your mind, not so much your muscle and sports, but your mind is getting stronger. But other members of the group aren't trying so hard, right? In fact, some of them may think they're smart, but they're not. I can remember when I was in high school and I had a... In, this, I took, if you can believe it, I was in public high school, but I took Latin. And I can remember this Latin group project. And <laughs> we're talking with this one kid, and he said, oh, I know the Latin word for whatever the word was. And then he proceeded to say the Spanish word 
for the, for the word, not the Latin. I looked at him and said, that's the Spanish word. You know, I was, at the, I was just ready to like grab the table and throw it up. And I was like, oh, I know what I'm talking about, right? You ever been in situations where there are people who are weaker and they actually think they know what they're talking about? Oh, yeah, you know, sure, yeah. You know, they're just, they, they got their own opinion. They're, they're, this is what I think. And they just feel so proud about their opinion. You think, you know, you haven't studied. You haven't looked into this at all. Like, what, what do you know? So they're you, you're trying, you are learning, you're studying, you're working, and they are not. Again, your mind is being renewed, it's growing, and again, that's not happening uh, with the others in the group. What might we be thinking about those weaker members of the group? Yeah, same, same sort of thing, right? Same as before, right? We might look down on them. We might feel superior. We might feel better than they are. Right, kids? Or we, or we might become down about them. We might feel sad. We might feel bitter. We want to say, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm just so done. We go to the teacher and you say, what? Listen, can I just do this group project by myself? Right? You ever done that? You just like, listen, I just, I, just, just kind of, I just have the grade for my, I'll do all the work for the work of three people, but I just don't want to be, you know, stuck. I don't want to share in this mess over here. Now listen, kids and adults, this is exactly, or very closely, what was happening in the Roman church. The church to which Paul was writing, and as Lydia read for us, Paul is addressing, and we've been talking about this the last two weeks, this notion that among the people of God are people who are strong and people who are weak. If you turn, and if you have the text in front of you, and it's Romans 15, just turn very briefly back to chapter 14. That's on page 976, 976. And Paul, straight out of the gate in verse 1 of chapter 14, says what? We talked about this. Accept the one whose faith is what? It's weak. Okay? Literally, it says, the one, uh, uh, the one who is weak with respect to faith. The one who is weak with respect to faith. Or you could probably translate it, one who is uh, weak with respect to faithfulness. That is to say that, there, Paul goes on to talk about this, he uses this analogy of, of a servant, of a lord, a master, of a household. And he's saying, listen, here you are, you're in, in, we move now from, from a sports analogy to a, you know, to a school analogy. And now Paul is using here uh, an analogy of a household, of servants in a household. And he says, here you are, a servant, and you're trying to be as faithful as you can. You're trying to understand what's going on. You, you actually want to work for your master. You love him. You care for him. You're proud to be in his household. And yet there are other servants who just don't seem to get it. And so Paul addresses this matter here. And he says, he says and what does he say straight at the gate? Accept the one whose faith is weak, right? We talked about this last, last several weeks. Seek after that one who is, that, 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 that servant with whom you are in disputes, who is weaker, etc., etc., etc. Now listen, what's interesting here, so we see the weak, that, that language of weakness, except the one whose faith is weak, 14 verse 1. Now, now go back to what Lydia read for us this morning, chapter 15 Verse 1. What does he say? We who are strong. Do you see that? We who are strong. And he gives counsel that we'll get into in a second here. But the idea here is that in the Roman church, and in fact in every real church since the Roman church, there are the weak and there are the strong. 
Again, the weak, listen to this, because this is important when you hear this. The weak are those who are servants, who really do, from all appearances, really do belong to Jesus. They profess with their mouth. What's that first, that three-word creed that Linda read for us? Jesus is Lord. That's what they say. Jesus is Lord. He's in charge. This is where the world's going. He's in charge. He's at the right hand of the Father. Triumphant over sin and death, evil and evil one. In fact, I want him to be Lord of my life. I want him to take over. Please take the reins. Take, jump in the driver's seat. Take over. That's what they say. Okay? And so they, they appear to be servants who belong to the Lord Jesus, but who, listen, who frankly don't really know the Lord that well. Maybe they're new believers. Maybe they just, they, they just whatever, whatever reason, they don't, really, they don't really know what Jesus is about. They don't really know what he wants. They're not sure yet why he commands what he does. And maybe they can't say along with a psalmist, listen to the Psalm uh, 84, better is one day in your courts, right? To be a servant, to be in the courts, to serve. What is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere? I would rather be a, a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. A doorkeeper. What's a doorkeeper? I mean, just a nobody, right? Just hold, you, you man that door. Okay, great, awesome. I'm in the house of the Lord. I would rather be a door. They can't, they're not there yet. They can't revel in the fact that they have been purchased and bought and redeemed and rescued. And now God has given them a role to play. Given them, they actually are part of the plan of redemption. And they are eager, they are on board. No, they are not there yet. And in contrast, again, to these weak are the strong. Verse 15, Paul says, we who are strong. And, in, and, and, and we saw in chapter 14 that the particular issue that, we, that they were facing were these two issues, right? The issue of diets and dates. Of dieting, of what food should be allowed, what's not, what's not allowed, and dates in terms of a most likely Jewish uh, a holy or liturgical calendar and what should or shouldn't be observed and what needs to be done. And we've talked about the Paul's various strategies for addressing it. And what's interesting is, as you can imagine here, the, the, those who are strong at, in the Roman church, what are they tempted to do? How are they tempted to respond to the weak? Well, we know by now, right? The same way that kids, that you might respond in the team, right? In a sports team. The same way that we might respond on a group project. The temptation would be to do what? To look. To look down on them. And we've seen that already, to, to feel superior, to feel better, right? Look in chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. Paul says, one person's faith, Paul addresses the issue of diets. Been talking about dieting, he talks about this notion of superiority. He says, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything, and this is the strong, must not do what? Treat with contempt the one who does not. The temptation of the strong person is to do what? It's to look down on his man. They just don't get it, dude. They have lost the plot. I mean, how? I mean, of course you can eat anything. I mean, how? Right? And you roll our eyes and we look down and they don't get it. And they're just they're sort of dead weight. They're just sort of a liability. They're the weak link. They just don't understand. And Paul says, listen, there's a temptation to look down 
on them. And we see it again in, verses, uh, in, verse four, in chapter 14, verse 10. Do you see it there? It says, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Yeah, Paul's addressing the weaker brother. And then he says, or why do you treat, or why do you treat them with contempt? The same idea of looking down. Paul is addressing the, the strong. He's saying, listen, he's pushing back against them. and say, how dare you look down on your brother or sister? So the first temptation that we saw was like looking down on them. But what was the, what was the second temptation? Do you remember? Kids, what was, what's the other thing? We only look down. We can what? Become down. Right? You're in the church, you're on that team, and you're trying so hard, you're working out, you're listening to the coach, whatever it takes, and you look around and you're like, man, does anyone else care if we win? You're working hard on the project, you're reading the book, you're doing the assignments, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever needs to be done, whatever the teacher wants, and you look around you know, on the, at the rest of the group in your, pro, in your, in your uh, group project, and you think, man, no one's interested in growing. No one wants to be, have their mind renewed. And so Paul understands that that second discouragement is what we're going to talk about today. Paul addresses this issue. And listen, this is just massive in the church. I can't tell you how big of a deal. How many people, certainly that I know, both especially leaders, but also lay leaders, who have given themselves to the church, have been that team player, who is trying hardest. They've been that group project classmate who has given it all. And his time becomes so tired, so weary, so disillusioned with the church that they just say, I'm done. And they walk out. So think about this. Now this is, this is just so important. It, now if a weak member well, let me just point this out here. So where, does, where do we see this idea of discouragement? In chapter 15, verse 4. And we'll walk through these verses, but we need to see this just specifically. Where Paul addresses, he's addressing the strong, we who are strong, verse 1, not the birth of feelings of the weak, etc. We'll talk about that in a second. But then he says, verse 4, he, he says, For everything that was written in the past, because Paul just quoted Psalm 69, was written to teach us so that through endurance, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, and what? And the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Do you see that? Paul is saying, listen, they're strong. It is ministering in the church, loving others in the church can be so discouraging, so disillusioning. The people of God are not impressive. We are a motley crew, a difficult crew. In fact, what is the most common way of describing, we'll see here, what's the most common way of describing the people of God in the Old Testament? Stiff-necked. They are stiff-necked. And who wants to be around that? I talk to professor friends, they talk about the difference between teaching undergraduates and teaching graduate students. Right? The undergraduates are going to the class because it's required. The graduate students are there because they, they actually want to be there. And at some point you're like, listen, are you here because you have to be? Or are you here because you actually want to be? And what's amazing is, and this is, guys, I, I really please, I want you to hear this. If a weak member in the church says, but what did I do? I didn't do anything. 
right? I didn't try to hurt anyone. I didn't try to sabotage anything. I didn't do anything. What's the response? That's right. You haven't done anything. You haven't done anything. So what are you doing? There's a name for this. There's a name for that kind of sin. It's called a sin of omission. I mean, that is a sin of omission. Sarah can be in the, in, in the kitchen. It's later. It's, it's right before dinner time. And I walk in from my day and I just plop down. And she's doing, she's been working all day with the kids. She's getting the dinner ready. Right? And then she gets frustrated with me. And I say, what, what do I say to her? Men, what did I do? Right? And what's her response? Fairly. That's right. You haven't done anything. It's a sin of omission. It's very similar. It's a sin of omission. It's another way of speaking. It's a form of neglect, a form of negligence. Those of us, we've all heard the phrase absentee father. It's not that the father did anything abusive. They just never showed up. They didn't do anything. So there's not only absentee fathers, but what we call absentee members. Think about that. An absentee church member. And I don't mean member here. I don't mean like a member of a club. Paul uses the word member as in the member of a body. What would imagine your body without its without a hand? Imagine your body without an eye. Imagine your body missing a kidney. Imagine your body missing just whatever body, but how catastrophic that would be. Well, I haven't done anything. That's the point, Paul is saying. You haven't done anything. And the key, the key question for the weak person is this. Why are you on this team, right? Why are you on the sports team? Do you even like basketball? Why are you in this group? Do you even want to be in school? And whose side are you on? Why do you call him Lord? Is your only comfort in life and in death really that you are not your own, but belong with body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? And I think where it hits home, gang, is here. When you, get, when you read the news, which, you know, I don't pay, I mean, I, you know, you, you listen, you know, the news is the news. But when you just listen, when you listen to the world around us, and you see how broken things are. How much injustice, how much oppression, how much loneliness, how much sorrow, how much despair, how much addiction there is. And to do nothing about it. Well, I'm a member of, I follow Jesus. To not take to heart. So, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not, you know, I'm not sabotaging. I'm not hurting anyone. Okay, great. Well, fine, wonderful. Maybe. We could debate that, maybe. But are you, have you enlisted? Are you on board? Are you really with it? Uh, Ron's gonna, if you, Ron, if you can, go ahead and there's a clip here. Most, I'm sure all, most all of you have watched the Star Wars movies. This is taken from the very first one, episode four. And it's a classic scene here where, um, if you remember the character of Han Solo. Han Solo, when we first meet him, what is he? He's a what? You know what he does? 
Right, he's a mercenary slash smuggle, smuggles. He smuggles stuff, right? He takes the guys really fast, Million Falcon, and he, he's able to do stuff. And not only is he a, he's a smuggler, but he, uh, he's actually he's got a bounty on his head. He's a wanted man by whom? Remember that, that, that uh, the big lizard guy? Yeah, Jabba the Hutt, right? And so he actually he helps, he helps uh, rescue Princess Leia, and he gets money for it. So he gets the reward for that, and he's got his reward. And now there's a big, a big battle to be fought against the evil empire. And guess what he's doing? He's got his reward. He's taken off. He's done. Watch this clip here, right? So he's taken off, and here comes, here comes Luke Skywalker around getting ready to you know, go off to battle. And go ahead, uh, Ron Rowling. All flights command your station. All flights command your station. So, you got your reward and you're just leaving then? Right, yeah. Got some old debts I gotta pay off with this stuff. Even if I didn't, you don't think I'd be fool enough to stick around here, do you? Why'd you come with us? Pretty good in a fight. Could use you. Come on. Why don't you take a look around? You know what's about to happen, what they're up against? They could use a good pilot like you. You're turning your back on them. What good's a reward if you ain't around to use it? Besides, attacking that battle station ain't my idea of courage. It's more like suicide all right well take care of yourself huh i guess that's what you're best at isn't it <laughs> hey look at it right there right <laughs> classic line right take care of yourself hon it's what you're best at wow does that that stings to me does that sting to you like well, you know what bruce you know what you're good at just watching out for yourself taking care of yourself See, there's this, there's this temptation to really not be on board, to be kind of on the team, to wear the jersey, but not to be really on the team. To show up to class, but not to be actually in the group project. Okay? And Paul is saying here, and the question is, what, what, do, we, what do the strong do about it? Let's walk through these verses. I can do it. Having said all that, we can walk through this pretty quickly here. The strong, what should the strong members do? Paul tells us. Or should they bail on the weak or should they bear with them? Should they exit or should they endure? Look at these verses, 15 verse 1. We who are strong ought to what? To bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. What beautiful and yet incredibly difficult words. What, is, what are we to do? Paul says we are, as, to be strong is to learn to live with and to love the weak. This is the hallmark of Christian maturity, is the hallmark of Christian unity for the strong to look at the weak and rather than just walking away, respond in the likeness of Christ. And it's exactly where Paul goes. Look at verse 3. So beautiful. For even Christ did not please himself. The one who was strongest of all, the one who was wisest of all, the one who was most loving of all, the one who was most obedient of all, the one who could have bailed, the one who could have just taken the first exit, even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. This is an amazing. This is a quote from Psalm 69. It's an amazing psalm. It's a psalm in which David 
is, is hurting big time. He's taking hits from all over the places from God's people. And he has this, this, this line that most of you would be familiar with because it's quoted in the New Testament so many times. He, why is he taking hits? Why is he hated so much? Why is he calling to God, help me, God, help me, because I'm hated so much. And the reason he's hated so much is his famous line, what? For zeal for your house consumes me. Right? He loves the people of God. He loves the house of God, the temple of God. He is zealous for it. And in response, guess what? He is getting pushback. From whom? Not the Gentiles, not the Philistines, but from the very people of God. And then, and then he quotes that beautiful line, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. What's he saying? This is, so, this is profound. Listen to this, guys. This is just, to me, one of the most profound statements in the Psalms. Paul is saying that when, you, when your heart becomes moved to serve the people of God, to serve the Lord in the house of the Lord, that what will happen is that you will receive pushback and you will receive insults, reproaches, often maybe not explicit, often not direct, not proactive, but what? Subtle. Passive. What did I do? I didn't do anything. Well, you just come to church once a month at most. You never actually do anything. You don't give anything. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. Really? Really? The insensitivity of that remark is unbelievable. I didn't do anything. The insults, the reproach, and this is what I want you to hear. David's saying, who's being insulted? Read that again. What was it to say? The insults of those who insult you. For David and for Paul and for Christ, who is the primary one being insulted? It's not the strong. It's whom? It's the Lord. And what that does is it depersonalizes the situation. Does that make sense? It's not about when, 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 when the weak are the weak doing what they do. It's not about the strong are not to take it personally as if somehow this is about them. It's not about them. David says, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Paul says, yes, these insults are against me, but they're not about me. Does that make sense? And he commends the strong. He says, stop, time out, hold on. Remember, Jesus himself pleased. He did not please himself, but he pleased others. And he, and he quotes Psalm 69 and calls them away from making this all about them, which is one of the great mistakes I have done as a husband, I've done it as a father, I've done it as a minister, and I will do it again in all three categories. I take things too personally. I make it all about me. And, and Paul says, no, no, no. Listen, if you, the key to serving the weak, the key to serving those who are so ungrateful, who are so insensitive, who think they're smart, who think they may be in God's kingdom and may actually not be. It's just scary. The key to doing that is to depersonalize. You know what? It's not about me. It's about the Lord. Last night, you, you know, again, if you... In a, in a, many of you probably aren't into sports, but we happened to watch the March Madness game. And it was interesting, you know, people loved, it was, it was two games, the second game was Duke versus UNC. And we used to live in that area, the, the Durham Chapel area, so it's a, it's a massive rivalry, right, Duke and UNC. And, and people, I found in my experience anyway, people love to hate on Duke. 
for whatever reason, the Duke's just like, oh, Duke's, you know, whatever. And yet, I was, it's interesting how many people on Twitter felt really bad that UNC won, even though they didn't like Duke. And you know why they were sad that Duke lost? Was it because of the Duke players who were going to go on to the NBA and whatever? No. Why, why, why were they sad? Do you know? Yeah, it was Coach K's last year. Forty-some years, 42 years of coaching or something like that. I mean, the guy is, a, is, a, is an icon. I mean, Duke has branded him for the last however many years. I mean, he is an icon. They were, they were wanting the coach to win. So the loss wasn't about the players. It was about whom? The coach. See, when we take hits, when we lose, it's not about us as strong going, oh, man, what about me? What about me? No. It's what about the reputation of our God? What about his characters? What about him? He's the one taking the hits. And again, this is to me a key sign of true maturity. I can think I'm strong all day long. But if I'm not here to bear with the failings of the weak, if I'm not here to say, you know what, this isn't really about me. Yes, I've taken, I've taken some, you know, some, some wounds, I've taken some hits. But it's not about me. Those hits are really not aimed at me. They are aimed at the Lord. And I tell you, this has application not only in pastoral ministry, not only in an ecclesial church context. It has, it has an application for family and marriage. I can't tell you how many, how many spouses. I mean, it's just, you get to that point where you're like, you know, I'm just done taking all these insults. I'm done taking all, these, all, all of this crap from my spouse. And that's understandable, and it's something you need help to hear, to, to hear about. But it's also to stop and say, you know what? Maybe, maybe these insults at me are against me, but they're not about me. Or as a parent, to look at their kids or maybe defiant, rebellious. You know what? Maybe they're rebelling not so much against me, but against the Lord. And that's such a complete frames things in a very different way. It's a key sign of maturity, guys. Let me close with this. It's a key sign of unity. A key sign of unity. It really is. When we can stay together, it's amazing. When the strong don't walk away from the weak. And there's not this despising, this disparaging, this looking down. When there's not this discouragement, it's just like, oh, here comes so-and-so again. The weak link in the, you know, whatever. And, and this sense of just, man, why am I even bother? Why, why give and give and give? It's just pointless. The discouragement. And I think it's so beautiful. Look, look at verses 4 here. Paul says again, For everything, everything, not just Psalm 69, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance... That through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Paul is saying, listen, and here by the scriptures, what's he referring to? He's referring to the Old Testament, right? New Testament. He's writing the New Testament, right? As he's referring to the Old Testament. And he says, listen, go back and read the Old Testament. It is incredibly encouraging. And you're thinking, is it really? Is it really? And the answer is yes. You know why? Because when you read the Old Testament, you find this amazing thing, that God makes promises to a most unpromising people. Amen? Right? He makes promises to, to whom? 
to Abraham? Are you kidding me? Right? I mean, it's just amazing, the circumstance. Go, go read the story. Go just look at the situation. Now, this is not going to go anywhere. By all accounts, it shouldn't work. Do you hear me? From Abraham to Israel, in and after Egypt, right? They go to, I mean, it's just, it's just again and again, God's people are a disappointment. And, and Paul is saying to the, the strong in Rome, go, go read the Old Testament. Have you seen how bad God's people are? Your weak brothers and sisters, that's nothing compared to the Israelites once they got out grumbling in the wilderness. Right? He said, go read. And, it sh- and the thing never should have taken off. The God, Yahweh, should have suffered the same fate as Ra, the same fate as Chemosh, the same fate as Bel, as all the other ancient Near Eastern gods whom no one worships today. So you've got to step back and go from, two, from literally 4,000 years removed from Abraham. Abraham's looking up at the stars, and he's going, look at the stars. I'm you know, 80 years old, or however, and, I have no, and Sarah's barren. Okay, all right. <laughs> and he believes. He believes, and here we are, 4,000 years later, in a different continent, in a different skin color, and we're worshiping Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's an incredible thing. It, you look at the Old Testament, and it never should have taken off. But it does. And why does it? Because of faith in a real God. And I'm going to ask, look at every one of you this morning and ask you, do you really have that faith? Do you have a faith like Abraham that looks around and goes, you know what, there is no hope here whatsoever. No hope in me, no hope in my wife, no hope in my spouse. There is no hope anywhere. And yet I believe in a God whose promises are real and who can raise the dead. And therefore I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to enter into a task that the world would laugh at. And I give myself and realizing that the promises may not be fulfilled for 4,000 years. That's the faith of Abraham. It's an amazing thing. But listen, now this is, listen, hear the edge to this. Abraham believed. Guys, there were so many Israelites who did not believe. Do you hear me? What happened to the Exodus generation? To those who saw the ten plagues, who witnessed the Red Sea part in half, who walked through it. What happened to them? They all died in the wilderness out of unbelief, grumbling against the Lord. Right? Does that even make any sense whatsoever? Unbelief is a real thing. Yes, God's story goes on. God wins. He does. He takes it all. The question is, are you on board? Listen, I'm pleading with you this morning because I'm so concerned. I'm concerned for many of you. I'm wondering, where are you? It's not about me. I have nothing to do with it. I want the best for you. I want you to know the fullness of our Lord's grace and mercy, His wisdom, His welcome. I want you to be his instruments of grace in the lives of family members, friends, co-workers, classmates, even those who've wronged you. I long to see you flourish. That's what it's all about. 
I'm asking, do you really have that faith that it's leaned in, that has let go, that has said, okay, you are Lord of my time. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday, you're Lord of my time. Sunday morning, Sabbath, I get it. You're Lord of my money. My wallet, I get it. I'm going to be giving. I'm going to give generosity. Not to, maybe I'm not a good shepherd. I don't care if it's not a good shepherd. I mean, it's a little weird if you go to a church and won't give to it because you don't trust it or whatever. I don't know. But like, but like give. Go give. So you are Lord of my wallet. You're Lord of my mouth. From now on, I got to rethink how I use these lips. You're Lord of my body. How I use my, se- my sexuality. What you say goes, goes, and doesn't. doesn't matter if I don't like it, whatever. I mean, Christian sexuality has never been popular, ever. It wasn't in the first century. It's not, not in the 21st century. Okay, so there's a surrender. Why? Because he actually knows what's best. And I don't. He laid down his life for me. He said, he looked and said, I will die instead. I'm going to obey him. Because I love him, and I love him because he loved me first. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, we work with those who are weak. Why? Because of the, of the, the welcome of Jesus. And we do so, why? Let me finish with these words in verse 5 and 6 here. I love this. This, this wonderful uh, exhortation or prayer. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, this attitude of bearing with the weak, of, of, of wanting to stay with you. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm here. I'm going to continue to serve and love and give and care. Why? Verse 6, why? For the sake of unity, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole idea is that we stick together. We don't just abandon ship. Well, I don't like this. I don't like that. I'm out of here. We stick together. And when we stick together, the world watches in wonder. How do they do that? The rest of the culture is just being ripped apart at the seams by class, by race, by gender. You name it. And here is this group of believers from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, every gender, every age group, every demographic, every political party, and they are sticking together it's a miracle because it really is a miracle all right let's pray together